Welcome to the Worship Place podcast. We are thankful we can worship with you and pray this message blesses your day. We look forward to seeing you in person next service. Praise God. All right, thank you so much. I want to turn your attention tonight to the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 29 and verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now notice that not only is God thinking of us, he's thinking toward us. I want to teach from the subject, the power of directed thoughts. Let's ask God's blessing upon his word. We thank you, precious Jesus, for the word of God, we pray. Hand of God, minister greatly, bless abundantly. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Smile at someone, shake their hand, greet them, let them know you're glad that they are here. Excuse me. Oh, God is good. My voice was fantastic a few seconds ago. Let's praise him. Thank you, Jesus, for the power of your spirit, Lord. You're great and greatly to be praised. We thank you for the power of the word of God. Amen. I'm not sick. I just drank water wrong. No, I'm okay. So what we have here is a letter, series of letters that Jeremiah has written. In this case, to the descendants of Judah, if you remember, after the death of Solomon, Solomon's sons worked to divide the nation, and they had uh, the ten northern tribes, and then there were the, uh, the two tribes that were nearest Jerusalem, Judah being one of those that uh, preserved authentic, you know, Old Testament worship. But when the people of God become divided, the enemies of the people of God become united. That's why the devil likes to get you sideways with your brother and sister, because you're an easy target if you develop some kind of, you know, schism in the, in the body or in the family or in the kingdom. And so let me just say that again for your benefit. When the people of God get divided, the enemies of God's people become united. And so Assyria and Babylon worked uh, their best to overthrow. Assyria took down the northern ten tribes and um, 
were not successful at overthrowing the remaining two, but what Assyria couldn't do, Babylon did under Nebuchadnezzar. And so um, Jeremiah had the, uh, the, the, the unfortunate privilege of being the spokesman to a generation that was going to be overthrown and carted into captivity for 70 years. Not a fun message to preach. But it was the will of God concerning Jeremiah and concerning the children of Israel at the time. Verse number 1 of Jeremiah 29 puts it this way. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders uh, which were carried away captives and to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, I noticed that he carried them away. <clears throat> if it should have been that he had to dra drag them kicking and screaming away. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you can't be anything else when the devil tries to drag you away from your reward or drag you out of the kingdom of God or drag you from uh, faith to doubt and fear, be dead weight. Don't help him. Amen. Come on. I remember one time before I knew Jesus, me and some buddies thought we'd go down to Mexico and we thought we'd party a little bit on the beach. So we did. Problem is it, it attracted the attention of the, I don't know what they call them down there, the federales. So next thing you know, here come a couple of cops. And they started accusing us of crimes that we couldn't commit because there was no girls around to commit them with. And they said to one of my friends, Ralph. Ralph was not a heavy guy. He was kind of wiry and skinny. And he wasn't particularly strong. Uh, and, um, but when the cops locked in on him, they said, we're taking you in. Well, he couldn't take us all in because we ran every way from sundown. But I remember watching Ralph in the moonlight as they were trying to get him into the car. And then we were out on the beach. It was sandy. It was, you know, rough. And he wouldn't walk. He just, he just dead weight. And they was just pulling him, pulling him. Finally, they just, ah, forget it. Be dead weight. Don't help the enemy destroy you. Resist the devil, and he will flee, amen, from you. And so the reason for Israel's captivity here was ignoring the land Sabbath. Just because the land would produce harvests on the sabbatical year did not make it the right thing for them to do because God had instructed them every seventh year, let the land rest and I will provide you uh, from, the, from the things that are just going to grow wildly and I will provide you on the harvest that precedes it to have enough to take you through. But no, you know, we always have a better plan than God has. And so 
they didn't let the land rest. Well, every year that they wouldn't let the land rest, for 490 years, God chalked up all of the, all, all of the back dues. And then he finally come to collect. And he said, you're going to spend 70 years in captivity for taking the blessing of God for granted. We used to sing a song, when the Lord gets ready, you got to move, you got to move, you got to move. Right? But sometimes I wonder. Now, we're not having to let land rest, and we're not dealing with sabbatical years, but we, we are recipients of the blessings of God. And is it possible that we could be guilty ourselves of taking the blessings of God for granted? And, some, and maybe facing consequences that we don't even know that the reason for, but it might be connected to the fact that we haven't cherished every opportunity. Oh, hallelujah. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. What do you, how do you think the Lord feels if we say, I'm mad that they said unto me, it's time to go to the house of the Lord. Some of you remember when they had revival seven days a week and you came to church. The kids came to church. Now we've had to tone it down to Wednesday and Sunday. That's another topic altogether. But I don't want to take the blessing of the Lord for granted. And so you remember when the Babylonians told the children of Israel, sing us one of your songs. And they said, we were down there by the river Chebar and we hung our harps on the willows. And they, was, they said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land. And I, I, I preach it this way. Oh, that's a noble proposition. No, we're not going to sit here and be happy and joyous in front of y'all. Maybe that wasn't the right response. You might find out in a minute or two. I'm going to let you be the judge of that. But Maya Angelou, a famous poet, I think she might even be from North Carolina, wrote one poem that most of you would probably remember and it goes, and it's called, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. And um, I'm not going to quote the poem, but I do know what she meant when she said, I know why the cage bird sings. She said it sings of freedom. But what I want to know uh, tonight is why the cage bird doesn't sing. And why? Just because our circumstances aren't precisely like we think they ought to be, that our victory is gone, that our joy is depleted, that our gusto in worship is limited. Just because things, uh, just because it's, we're in a strange place. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange Has anybody been in a strange land when you never even left your neighborhood? You know what I'm talking about? Where life is like suddenly pulls a fast one on you. And you think, man, just last month it seemed like I had everything to give God praise for. Now, look at this. Welcome to walking with God. This is the way that it's going to be sometimes. But this is something that I found interesting, a fact from um, 
from Psychology Today, and it said this, when examined through the lens of complex PTSD, the symptoms of many caged parrots are almost indistinguishable from those of human prisoners of war and concentration camp survivors. That birds, like people, can grow to be resentful of their captivity, of the circumstances of their confinement, of the treatment that they received at the hands of their oppressors. It might seem perfectly natural to be affected by circumstances that you don't like. Let me say this. If you are in the midst of a circumstance you don't like, I want to help you understand. Don't take your anger out on God. Don't take your dissatisfaction out on worship. So they said, sing us your songs. And they said, no, we're not going to sing songs in this strange land. We're going to hang our harps on the, on the willow. Why is that? Perhaps because they were angry. No doubt they were angry at their situation. Possibly they were angry at God. Perhaps they were angry at Jeremiah. They just didn't like where they were in life. Look, there's going to be times where you're not going to like where life leads you. You're in a place in life sometimes that God brought you to. And it's not fun. And it's not, uh, it doesn't put goosebumps on top of goosebumps. But still the Lord, hallelujah, is looking for somebody who knows how to offer the sacrifice of praise. Sometimes we offer confectioner's praise. It's the cream that comes to the top. It's the sweetest part of the pie. But then other times, life is bitter and difficult and hurts. And it's still we're called upon by the Spirit of God to lift our voices and magnify the name of the Lord. Let me tell you something. If you are going to be a, a, a year-round worshiper and a season-round worshiper, you're going to do so because you practice directed worship. If you wait to feel like worshiping, you're never going to get there. Just like nobody accidentally goes out for a walk and ends up on the top of Mount Everest. You know how they end up on the top of Mount Everest? They plan for it. They pack for it. They pay for it. They struggle for it. They wait for the right window. And then when it's time, they go for it. Oh, praise God. There is something about the power of a directed worship. There's something about someone who says, worship isn't just what I do. It's who I am, what I believe. It's the right thing to do. Praise God. And so uh, let me, let me uh, proceed. I'll give you a little more clarity on that in just a minute or two. But let me also say this tonight. The more challenging the circumstance. Are you ready for this? The more challenging your circumstance, the more likely that you will get a word from God. Let's talk about Jeremiah's challenge. 
Jeremiah chapter number 9, verse number 1. Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He literally wished he had more tears to cry because he cried them all out. And he wished that his head was full of water. Jeremiah 1 and 6, Then said I, Oh, Lord, behold, I cannot speak. This is when God ordained him, I'm going to make you my spokesperson for the people. He said, I can't speak. I'm but a child. Here, Jeremiah is the reluctant prophet. Some of the best preachers in the world are the ones that didn't daydream about it when they were kids. God just basically hogtied them. Jeremiah 16 and 2. Thou shalt not take thee a wife, neither shalt thou have sons or daughters in this place. He was the prophet of loneliness. Now I want you to see this. Tears. Loneliness. Jeremiah 11 and 19. But I was like a lamb or an ox that was brought to the slaughter. And I knew not that they had devised devices against me, saying, let us destroy the tree with the fruit thereof. And let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be no more mentioned. He was the persecuted prophet. He was the laughing stock in Jeremiah 26. He was in stocks and bonds in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse number 7. He was accused of treachery in Jeremiah 38 and 4. He was lowered into a cistern and left to die. Some say that it wasn't just a water reservoir, that it was a sewer reservoir. Okay? What did I say earlier? The more challenging your circumstance, the greater the possibility that you will get a word from the Lord. That phrase, word of the Lord, 20% of the times it's ever recorded in the Bible, it happens in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, where this man suffered more, was, was, was dislocated uh, uh, from happiness and joy and family and love and affirmation. The word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord. It's there more than any other book in your Bible. Praise God. So let me say this. Just because you feel like you're all hemmed in, just because you feel like you're unappreciated, underappreciated, forgotten or lonely does not mean that you cannot get a word from the Lord. And I believe God is giving you a word from the Lord tonight because you're where you don't want to be. Life hasn't treated you like you think it should. You haven't received what you are looking for. But I'm going to tell you, God has a word. Mm. Perhaps in the message tonight, God will have a word uh, for you. God commands, watch this, Judah, 
Here is God's prescription for how to survive a bad season. You ready? Verse number four of Jeremiah 29 says this. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build your houses. Put down roots. Dwell in them. Plant gardens. Eat the fruit of them. Verse 6, take wives. Beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons. Give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that they may be increased and not diminished. Build, plant, love, be fruitful. He's talking about what to do in a strange land. And then verse 7 says, And seek the peace of the city whereof I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it. For in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. But look, I know, this is like, huh, what? I thought we should protest in the streets. I thought we should clench our fists and raise our hands and say, this isn't right. This is what God, this is, the, this is what the Lord's instructions were to the Israelites who were going to spend 70 years in Babylonian captivity. Don't quit living. Don't quit living. Build families, build homes, plant gardens, reap harvests, live and intercede and pray and bless. What is going on? Why would God want this? When God, let me say this, when, why would God give them instructions such as this? Was it just to endure 70 years of captivity? Oh no. It's because when God sometimes when it sometimes looks like we've run aground, right, on a deserted island, and things have just come to a standstill, God is working generationally. We can't understand the difference of God working individually versus God working generationally. But remember when God told Abraham, your, your descendants are going to sojourn in Egypt for 400 years, but I am going to bring them out as a mighty people with many blessings. That's exactly what happened. They went into, into Egypt to just 70 people. They came out two or three million, an entire nation, a body of people that were powerful enough to overtake the promised land and occupy it, amen, for the glory of God. What I'm trying to say is you are thinking situationally. God is thinking generationally. And so some of you wonder, why was I born into a home where nobody went to church? 
where nobody sincerely prayed, where nobody gave a flip about the things of God? Why was I allowed to grow up like a weed in the neighborhood and get myself in mischief and in trouble? Why couldn't, what a, how much better of a Christian would I be if I would have just been raised perfectly by perfect saintly people? Maybe or maybe not. Sometimes God puts us in situations that are difficult so that we can appreciate when the grace and mercy of God delivers us. Jesus kind of put it like this, to whom much is forgiven. Amen. They are so much more gratitude for the things that God has forgiven them for. So I'm here to tell you, don't question God when circumstances aren't what you think they should be. Understand this. Sometimes God works for me. Sometimes he works for the next generation. But either way, God is at work doing great things. I cannot see him sometimes, but I know he's there, and I know he's working, and I know he's doing Praise God. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and magnify the Lord. And so he basically encourages the exiles to embrace life. And I, am, and I am encouraging somebody here tonight that if life isn't what you think it should be, and if it seems unfair and callous and cruel and demanding, don't put off devotion until things improve. The worst thing we can do is put off prayer until things improve. Or put off praise until things improve. Or put off building solid relationships. Or quit loving. You know, there are people who've decided I'm never gonna love anybody because somebody broke my heart. Shame on you. Pray through, build an altar. People are worthy of your love and you deserve to be loved. Don't turn your back on love just because somebody broke your heart. There'll be someone come along that will, that will nurture you and that will make you feel valuable and you will be able to participate in, in encouraging somebody else. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. My God, I just feel this. Don't put it off. Don't put off living. Don't put off happiness. Don't put off joy. Don't put off praise. Don't put off fellowship. Don't put off church. Don't put off reading your Bible. Yeah, yeah it's not what it should be. It's not what I wanted. Not what I expected. But it's not over yet. Hallelujah. Praise God. If you develop a bad spirit in a challenging situation, you'll undermine. Again, God put the parents in a challenging situation to develop the next generation to come back and take control. But if we develop a bad spirit in a challenging situation, It will be like the parents eating sour grapes and the children's teeth being set on edge. Some of you and I have had to spend a lot of time in prayer unlearning bad habits, bad thoughts, bad negotiation skills, bad relationship skills that we learned accidentally by people. That's how they responded to life. Look at this, Jeremiah 31, verse 6. Let me read a few verses. I'm about to close here. 
For there shall be a day that the watchmen upon Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, let us go up to Zion unto the Lord our God. For thus saith the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob. Shout among the chief of the nations. Publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and her that travaileth with child together. A great company shall return. Everybody say return. Then they shall come with weeping and with supplications and I will lead them and I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O ye nations. Declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him. He that scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him as a shepherd does his own flock. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob, ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. Therefore, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd. And their soul shall be as a watered garden and they shall not sorrow any more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, both young men and old together, for I will turn their mourning into joy and I will comfort them and make them rejoice from their sorrow and I will satiate the soul of the priests with fatness and my people shall be satisfied with goodness saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children refused to be comforted for her children because they were not Thus saith the, I want you to stand. Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is a hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. In those days they shall no more say no more the fathers eat in sour grape and the children's teeth are on edge. Oh no! Yeah, the fathers may have eaten the sour grape, but the children's taste and tongue is experiencing the sweetness of the blessings of God. I'm telling you, we've gone through what we've gone through because God is going to raise up a generation of worshipers to help amen, take take amen, our cities and our nation in the last days. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. Hallelujah. And the glory of your latter house shall be greater than that of the former. Hallelujah. And so God doesn't only think of you. He thinks toward you. And if God thinks toward you, we need to start thinking toward him. We need to start thinking toward each other. We need to have thoughts toward the lost. 
Hallelujah. What is to think towards somebody? It's to be intentional. It's to have a plan. It's to say, I'm going to climb Mount Everest because I intend on climbing Mount Everest. Not going to happen accidentally. It's going to be on purpose. And so right now, I'm going to pray a prayer that God would put you back in control of your thoughts. If your thoughts feel like mice running through your brain, and you're just chasing after this one and chasing after that one, and it's just chaos, and, 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 and nothing, no, nothing makes sense to you, I want to tell you something. I'm going to pray that God gives you the power to direct. If you will learn to direct your thoughts toward God in prayer, God will give you the power to direct your thoughts toward everything else in life. This is where the training begins. I want us to lift our hands right now. Precious God, in the name of Jesus, somebody whose mind has been hard to nail down, thoughts are scattered and rumbling, and they're moving, and they're in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray right now, we're directing our thought toward you. Let our thought meet your thought, which is directed toward us. Lord, in the words of prayer, we lift our voice and we purposely, intentionally call on the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus over our family, the name of Jesus over our circumstance, the name of Jesus over our situation. Precious God, in the name of Jesus, I pray. I pray, Lord. I pray, Lord. I pray, God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And so what was God teaching Israel? Don't live from event to event. Live those moments in between. Connect the dots. You know, when you do a connect the dots, sometimes you don't know what you're going to get till you go through the process. And sometimes life is that way. And sometimes we wait for everything to just be right. And then we jump into that moment and say, oh, this is life. But God's saying, I want you to live in between those moments. And I want you to pray in between those moments. I want you to bless in those moments. Those, in those, let me read. I'm going to read one more poem. Is that okay? Then I'm going to close. It's called, it's called uh, connect, it's on the theme of connecting the dots. And it goes like this. Linda Ellis wrote it. I read of a man who stood to speak at a funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone. From the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For the dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth and now only those who loved them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that still can be rearranged. To be less quick to anger, to show more appreciation and more love, and to love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect, 
and more often wear a smile, remembering this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you lived your dash? This is what I see in the Spirit. You're in a valley, but there's a mountain on either side of you. And if you can negotiate this time right now in praise, productivity, faith, worship, not only are you going to come out of it on the other side, but your reward of the blessing is going to be so much greater. Sometimes it takes a near-death experience for somebody to appreciate life. Boy, I want you to come forward. If you need God to get you through, I don't know, the zone that you're in. Just let him, let him, let him, let him touch you right now in Jesus' name.